For this edition of the KTM Summer Grill, I'm joined by both Andrew Van Leeuwen and Dan Herrera. We are going to head over to the United States and talk to an Aussie who is certainly making his mark in the IndyCar field, so much so his contribution was pretty significant in the Indy 500 win in 2023. From Penske, we talk to Luke Mason. G'day. How are you, mate? Congratulations, firstly, on the Indy 500 win with uh, with Joseph. Can we rewind the clock to there and and uh, your emotions on that day, what it meant, pretty massive. It certainly doesn't get old, so I'll, I'll talk about it when everyone wants to hear it. It's, uh, <laughs> it was a pretty, pretty cool day, pretty cool month, and... You know, you sort of get caught up, uh, caught up in the moment when it's actually happening, and then you sort of get to the end of the year now after a tough championship, and you kind of actually have time as a as a group to actually sit back and rewatch it all and enjoy it together, and, and realize what we did was actually really bloody cool. So, you know, down in this part of the world, teams often say you, you can rescue a bad year if you win the Bathurst One Thousand. You, you know, when the championship doesn't go to plans, is it? It's probably like that on steroids, right? winning the Indy 500? It, it, it's the opposite. It, it is, you go into the, go into the year, and the first, first note that gets put on the whiteboard of the to-do list is win the Indy 500. Like you don't even, you don't even think about championship until you get out of May and go, okay, well, did we win it or did we not win it? And if we didn't win the Indy 500, you salvage the year by trying to win the championship. <laughs> it, it really is, you know, that important, especially on, you know, Roger's list and at Team Penske overall, but I dare say everyone in the IndyCar, IndyCar garage is exactly the same as, you know, if you go into the start of the year, every year going, let's win the 500. And if we can't win that, well, let's, let's try win a championship and salvage the year. Well, what's race day like? Like when you're sitting down there in the infield, that massive crowd there, like what's, what is that um, atmosphere like? It, it's so hard to describe to someone who hasn't done it. Like, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people back in Oz, whether they've been to a, a normal supercar race or they've, they've been on the grid at Bathurst and been lucky enough to experience the, the build-up there and, and how busy the grid is and people, you know, at work and, and busy doing what they're doing. But, you know, the one thing that the Americans do really well is, is put on a show and, you know, that race and that morning is, is all about the show. You know, we get there at 5 a.m., pitch black, you know, the car's all ready to go from the night before, so we're not exactly doing anything there. We're just sort of going through the motions of making sure, you know, everything's right, everything switches on and, and everything's good to go. But, you know, we push those cars out of the grid at like 8.30 in the morning. You know, the race doesn't start till 12. That's that's how long the, the grid protocol is. So for us, it's, you know, that, that whole atmosphere slowly builds and builds and builds. And, you know, you try to keep to yourself a little bit and sort of get your head in the game and try to take emotion out of it and sort of prepare yourself for you know, the decisions you're going to have to make. And, and a lot of it's just keeping your driver calm and your crew calm and sort of during that build-up, you can get away from you pretty quick. But then you sort of walk out there and that moment right before the anthem starts and you've got flyovers and jets going everywhere and marching bands and, and people going crazy, you sort of get together as a group and go, all right, you know, everyone give yourself 10 minutes here to, to take all this in and understand what we're doing here is, is really bloody cool. So you, you give yourself that moment, you know. It's, it's, it's the only place I've been where you, you know, you're looking around at your crew all lined up during the anthem and, and everyone's just about in tears. Like it, it's, it, it gets a hold of you that much that it means so much to a lot of people. And then you sort of shake that aside once it happens and you give each other a high five and, bit of a rah-rah speech and let's go. And then you sort of 
flick the switch and you're in full race mode ready to go. Do you feel like the drivers get a chance to soak that in as well? Like obviously you're working with drivers or are they just so focused on the job at hand that they have to completely park those really emotional bits and pieces before the start of the race? I think it's the same for them too, where they, they allow themselves that 10 to 15 minutes to, to understand the, the greatness of, of what they're about to embark on and the opportunity they have to they put their name in etched in history. So, you know, I think they all do it a bit differently. You know, you guys are pretty familiar with Scotty and how he goes about life and he sort of comes in bouncing around in the morning ready to go and then sort of disappears and then comes back like an energizer bunny ready to go again and <laughs> sort of goes in waves and... And then he finally you know, gets his helmet on and locks in and is good to go. You know, Will, Will's Will, <laughs> 31 willpower in the world. <laughs> so he goes about it his own way. But, but Joseph was, you know, very relaxed that morning and it was almost too relaxed. Point. I, didn't, I didn't talk to him at all until I saw him on the grid for the first time after driver intros. So, you know, he was very much chilled out and you know, gave himself some time to take it all in during the introductions. And then it was, it was game face, let's, let's go win this race. Why does it work so well with you guys? I mean, he's, he's uh, I think, as you reflected in another conversation during the year, he's, he's got the six-pack. We'd all love the six-pack and so on. But you are kind of the, the straight-talking leveller, the Aussie in, the, the Aussie voice in the background, aren't you? And I think that's why it kind of works is, you know, I'm, I'm generally not afraid to tell it how it is. That's <laughs> good, bad or indifferent. It's, it's going to come out regardless whether you like it or not. So, and I think... I think he appreciates that, and I think the crew appreciates that, and I'm pretty sure, you know, Tim and Roger will also appreciate that as well. Is that, you know, yeah, these guys are amazing at what they do and super gifted and talented in a race car, but at the same time, they're they're just people too, and sometimes you need to you just treat them like people. You know, you don't have to put mm. them on a pedestal either. To get the best out of them, sometimes they need they need the hard conversation. Mm. And Luke, the, let's just go to the other end of the afternoon at Indy. It was a, a crazy end of that race. Three red flags. Just relive again for us those those final moments and the the one lap dash to the checkered flag. Yeah, it's you sort of get in that that moment where our our day had been so good. Like we we came in with the plan. We didn't qualify as well as we wanted to, and we sort of told ourselves that you know our race car all week had been so good and traffic and being able to work its way forward so that. You know, if we got him got him in a position to, to fight for a win at some point during the race, that you know, we're in with the shot. So you know, we sort of methodically wanted to work our way up with, you know, do the basics right, good pit stops and execute with our strategy and, and all those little things that you know, win races generally. And we got to about halfway and we'd come from, come from the back all the way through to fifth. And we're like, well, shit, we're ahead of schedule here. It's, this is working out pretty well. And, <laughs> And then again, we got a few more spots and a few more spots and it got to the point where that red flag came out with, with nine to go there. And we're like, well, we've, we've done our job here. There's no more pit stops. The car is what it is. You know, it's up to him now to, to do what he does and deliver for us. So at that point, you almost turn into a bit of a passenger and a bit of a race fan because there's nothing you can do. It's, yeah, you can guide them a little bit on, you know, restarts and, RPM speed and gears based on what other people are doing and you can help them out with their tools if they've got a certain balance trait but end of the day you're 190 laps into the race they already they already know what they've got so in many respects it's just leaving it up to him so you know that first first restart happens and we go from third to first and 
like, oh, bloody hell, this is pretty good. Let's just keep it green to the end and see what we can do. And, and of course, it didn't shake out like that. So you know, we were leading for the second restart. And at that point in time, we're like, well, this is probably going to be the last one. So you're sort of preparing yourself to, you know, get the best restart you can. And, and based on every other restart that happened that day, if you were the leader out of four taking the green, you, you weren't going to be leading at the end of the next lap. So, you know, we were trying to think about what the best way, what the best strategy was to, to go about to go about that. And I'm sure he was thinking it himself. And then obviously we had the, the second yellow, or the second red flag there with the uh, crash on the start-finish straight. And at that point, we were like, geez, let's hope for second. <laughs> you know, it was, it was that tight at the end that you knew that based on pre the red flag was going to come out again and there was going to be a shootout. And whether that was going to be two laps or one laps, you know, we, we didn't quite know, but you knew that, you know, the red flag was probably going to come again and you'll get another shot. And it was the only time in my life that I was, I was praying not to be first and <laughs> hoping that we were second on the, on the count back on the timing line because... At that, at that point, that was the best place you could possibly be. And you know, you're watching that last restart, to Marcus's credit, he got he got such a good restart and such a good jump on us that I think it was the only time anyone who was in the lead held the lead in turn one. And at that point, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, is it, is it, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? It's only going to take one more yellow or another accident and this race is over and we've blown our opportunity and... Sure enough, we got we got to the back straight and there was no yellow and he, he got a hell of a run coming onto the back straight out of two and you see him go past him and at that point when he actually went past him, I unplugged my intercom. We've got a got a GoPro on our stand there and you hear you can see me unplug my intercom, sort of preparing that if this is gonna happen, I'm I'm gonna be pretty loud here and I'm gonna <laughs> off. So so I pull the plug and then sure enough he sort of comes off a four and you second guess yourself again because again Marcus did such a good job following that you know, he was half a shot to be able to slingshot past us but the thing crosses the line and it's just just ecstasy after that I'm jumping around screaming over the pit wall with all the boys and girls and you sort of look back and you look at the crowd the crowd's going nuts and that, that next 20 minutes you kind of I think I said it to someone else you just that just blacked out and what happened happened and mm-hmm. the only reason why I know what happened because it was on TV and the <laughs> pictures and stories that, <laughs> that tell me what happened. Yeah. What, what did it mean for you from a, a career standpoint? Probably like a lot of drivers that come from this part of the world that endeavour to break into that ultra-competitive American scene, there are periods in the early years of uncertainty. It's never clear whether they would make it. You've probably gone through a similar thing yourself. How much does a result like this help your career and... and stability and longevity with people like Tim Penske? Yeah, it's a big confidence game. And it's exactly like the drivers where it's, you know, you see guys go through through ups and downs and you know, ride that wave of confidence when they're, they're doing well. You know, you look at Brody over there this year where you get on a run and you seem, seem borderline unstoppable. You can do anything in a race car. And for engineers, I think, and, and mechanics as well, for that matter, it's no different that, you know, you, you try to work your way up the ladder and you sort of, you have the inner confidence self that, you know, you can back yourself to do anything and if you get the right shot and you're put in the right position that you can do the job and, you know, you go through those same ups and downs and you do doubt yourself a little bit, you know, that's, that's just life and that's just what happens. But at the same time, it, to get a result like that, sort of, it's very rewarding, you know, and you do take the time to sort of look back and reflect and, you know, a lot of text messages and phone calls from a lot of people back home that, that helped me to get to where I am, that it, Super excited and super stoked to see me do well, which is, to me, that that was the best part is being able to, you know, speak to people like 
I text people like Ross and Jimmy Stone that that I know sent a message through, and you know that that's where I started. They're the ones that gave me my shot, and and to to get a result like that, and to see those people sort of, you know, look at what you've it. done and be mm-hmm. proud of where you've come from is is a really cool thing. Luke, we've seen drivers like uh, you know Will Power, a Queenslander, he went through Europe and then arrived in North America and had to learn ovals. And I guess you're kind of similar because you're a supercars background. What's that like as an engineer to learn that craft? Well, it's funny because I did, I did two years of NASCAR before I went IndyCar racing and sort of got, got thrown in the deep end of like, all right, we're, we're turning left. It's cool. It can't be that difficult. You know, it's, it's only so much you can do. But now the added the added bit I had as well is I had to learn the imperial measuring system, which was also a bit of a pain <laughs> in the ass when you've spent your whole life spend your whole life in, in the metric world and then you go to freedom units. So it was a bit of a double edged sword to understand you know, what on earth was going on. And and to be fair, it probably took me a good six months, you know, of, of NASCAR racing at RCR to actually actually understand what, what the hell was actually happening to get that car to turn left and and how it actually operates and how to get the most out of it. Now, once you sort of grasp the initial aspects of you know how to get a car around an oval, it, mm. it's actually, in theory, very simple, but it's it's like anything else. It's so much detailed work that goes into absolutely maximising it, and that's where all the time is, and that's that's why, see, the good guys do really well and, and people struggle. Hey, can we talk supercars for a minute? You, you have um, kind of been a little voice of caution, if you will, with some occasional comments on on socials. Supercars are uh, going off to do some very important testing, some needed testing in, in the United States and so on, but you have not been afraid to say, hey, this, this can actually create more questions than answers. Can you just, just expand on, on that and, and um, you know, how you feel about it? Yeah, I think it's, at the end of the day, it's a lot of money. Mm. <laughs> Someone's obviously paying for it and you know, from from my experience, that I, th- I think it's a lot of people think we're just going to you know, run a Chevy in the wind tunnel and run a Mustang in the wind tunnel, and you you look up at the LCD screen at the top, and they both say 150, and you press go, and it's all good, and everything's right. But at the end of the day, that the wind tunnels are quite a tricky thing to use. It's it's like a tool, like anything else. You know, you can get the numbers exactly right on an engine dyno, and we know that. You know the same same graph is, is very different to drive on, on a real racetrack, and that's no different to a tunnel. You know we we and, and most other top IndyCar teams will spend more more time and resource running a car up and down a runway than we do in a wind tunnel because we get we get better data out of it, we get better results, and it translates to the racetrack. So you know I think it's just a bit of, bit of caution to say that you know it might not be the be all and end all to, to take a car to a wind tunnel, and you know there is merit. What they were doing in the first place. You know, I think, I think the public was very, very quick to dismiss all the work that they had done on the airfields anyway to get the cars where they were. Luke, judging by the artwork in the background there, you obviously have an understanding of the history of the sport, and you know you enjoy the history of the sport. What's it like working for probably one of the most famous names in the entire history of motor racing in Roger Penske? It's as soon as you walk in the door to, to go to the office, you walk past photos, memorabilia, old cars, old driver helmets, winners, trophies. You know, you're surrounded by, it, by history. 
and motor racing excellence. You know, you, you can't not but, you know, look and stare at everything around you and realise that, you know, you are, you are at one of the greatest teams in the world, you know, not just North America, but the world. And the more you get entrenched and, and be a part of the team and you, you have conversations with Roger and Tim and, and even those, those guys and girls that have, that have been there for 35, 40 years that are still there, they still come to work every day, you sort of gauge an understanding of, ah, okay, I get it. I get it now. This, <laughs> this is why. And to be able to walk in there now to, A, get it and understand why, but be a part of it too. It's, I can't think of any, any place better in world motorsport to work than at Team Penske. There is a great competition that we have on the Speed Cafe website in conjunction with Team Penske, Pertech. Um, Brett Crusher-Murray is going to run some backstage tours. There are economy class airfares. There's tickets to the Indianapolis 500. Full details, terms and conditions on the website. It's kind of like a backstage tour for fans in addition to taking in one of the greatest races on the planet in, uh, in 2024. Very potentially cool gift for people to buy. You guys got tickets yet? <laughs> You're on it. We should yeah. have. I tell you, it wouldn't get much cooler than that on race day. Seeing getting a back, backstage pass to to the inner workings of the speedway itself, and being able to see behind behind the screens of, of what we do at Team Penske, and you know, I'm sure Crusher will do a good job of, of looking after the people who ever won that one, and, and might even buy him a few cheeky beers as well. But <laughs> as an as an experience. You know, as I touched on earlier, I, I don't think there's any bigger, bigger sporting event than being on the grid at the start of the Indianapolis 500. And for, for two people to experience that one, they'll, they'll be blown away. Do you get much of a break over the, over the Christmas period? I mean, this is an ultra competitive championship. IndyCar, in some people's eyes, arguably the most competitive uh, open wheel championship in the world uh, at, at present. What does 2024 look like for for you, for Joseph Newgarden and, and the crew on that car? Yeah, it's only just started to slow down. We, our last race was the middle of September and it feels like we've been non-stop testing various different bits and pieces since then. You know, uh, yeah, we get a bit of a break. It's sort of a, a bit of a lull at the moment at the shop where everyone sort of comes and goes and takes their vacation and, and holiday periods. And, you know, I'm no different. I'm going to be back in Oz in a couple of weeks to, to sit on the beach and drink a few VBs and not think about race cars for a while back in Perth, which I'm looking forward to. But, you know, once you're sort of you're away from it for a week or two, you kind of kind of switch back on again while you're away and you're like, geez, I want to be back at a racetrack and, you know, what can I do to be faster? What can we do to be better? So in, in many respects, it never stops. It's, it's a disease. <laughs> it takes over your whole <laughs> life and all you want to do is keep winning and be better. So... So for us, there's a few changes going on in the category itself, which we're looking forward to, which you know, we've been busy testing testing a lot to make sure we're ready to go for all that with the hybrid system and, and everything else that's happening there. But, but for us, it's it's sort of building upon what, what we started this year. You know, this, was, this was our first year together and we walked away with four races and, and winning those four races, for me, it's... For me, I'd like to get on a road course more than anything because all, all we've proven is we can turn left really fast. We don't have that win in a road course yet, and unfortunately, there's more road courses than there are ovals. So, so a lot of our work now is, has been on okay, how can we improve our street and road course package and and take it to the Ganassi, the Andretti every week and and try fight for that championship overall. That hybrid introduction. What can fans expect from what you've seen so far, and and will it? Um, you know, enhance the quality of the racing that we've enjoyed in 2023? 
Yeah, it, it's funny. I think, you know, personally, when they, they said they were going to introduce it, I was, I was pretty negative about the whole thing. It's like, why do, why do we need this? And, you know, we're, we're carrying around carrying around all this weight and it's all, all for, you know, manufacturer reasons, which we all understand that, you know, where the money comes from is, is what what drives what we do. But at the same time, we did the first test with it and got our first hands-on experience with, you know, using the hybrid system to, to gain performance. And then you can sort of see collectively the light bulb went off and we're like, oh, oh shit, this is faster. Okay, okay, how do we how do we <laughs> best use this to, to, to beat everyone else? It's sort of triggered that that engineering part of the brain straight away of, okay, this is this is going to make the cars faster. How how do we how do we utilize this better than anyone else to gain an advantage? So I think it's gonna be very exciting. It's gonna be different. Um you know, there'll be a lot of lot of time spent at our end on how how best to optimize it over a lap and i think that's going to be different you know qualifying versus the race and we'll see drivers how they might set up a pass differently now and, and being able to, to use the hybrid system to, to help them pass people so i think it's going to be it's going to be very exciting once we we get 26 of them on track to actually see see what happens it's been super to get you on um can we finish with the fact that it's nice that you have a kind of little bit of homesickness and you're going to look forward to some vbs in perth over the summer and and so on but basically america is home for you it seems like you're entrenched there and you have goals that you still want to achieve there don't you yeah it's 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 funny it's australia is always going to be home perth's always going to be home i'm very proud west australian Love it. Unfortunately, love the West Coast it. Eagles didn't do me <laughs> do me too well this year, but you keep an eye on everything, and you know I know the BBL starting up there soon, so the Scorchers can pull through. But you know, at the same time, I think if you want to you want to work in in world motorsport, you know, America's the place to be. There's just so many options. There's there's so much resource you can surround yourself with, and it's it's just there's so many so many opportunities just in general, and I think. You know, I would encourage encourage any young engineers or young mechanics that if they ever get the opportunity to, to come over here or and try and make something happen, that they should definitely go for it. Perfect way to finish. Congratulations on the Indy 500 in 2023. And it's nice, Luke, to stop and shine a light on another Aussie doing great things on the world motorsports scene. We wish you all the best for 2024. Now, cheers, guys. Appreciate it. There he is, Luke Mason, on the line from Charlotte, from Team Penske. What a year he had, and we hope that 2024 brings even more success. That is the latest KTM Summer Grill run and done. Check back in with speedcafe.com tomorrow to see who our next guest is. You could be a winner each episode of the Summer Grill. KTM are giving you the chance to win a bar stool, a mug, and this race-inspired clock as well. So there's more good reasons to tune in and hear from some of the stars of world motorsport here as a part of the KTM Summer Grill. All you've got to do is click on the link below, fill in your details, and you could be in the running to win.